It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Rafael Nadal is still undefeated in 2022, but once again, it seemed rather unlikely that that zero was going to remain down 5-2 in the third set against Sebastian Corda, who was uh, playing on a level on Mars for a lot of that match. Joel, you are inside Stadium One taking in all the action. I guess the most, uh, the question in a case like this is the comeback, how much of it was Nadal's doing? How much of it was Corda's undoing? Well, it's the classic, a little of each thing, but it's really, I just hand it to Nadal. It was a great moment. I mean, uh, just, just so you all know, this is my credential. I haven't been to a tournament in more than two years. And whenever you go to the tournament and we've each been to our share, tournament starts off and there are these matches and things occur. And then there's a moment, it's like, wow, the event has come alive. And that was it yesterday, a packed house, uh, people watching. I was in a suite at one point early in the match, visiting a friend and Nadal was pretty in control, pretty simple. Oh, this court is young. The next thing you know, quarter wins 11 of 14 games. He's serving at five, two in the third. I, I think, uh, Again, it's the little of each. Nadal comes up with some shots. He hits a couple of great backhand passing shots in one game. He plays this great lob when Cord is serving for the match at 5-4-30 all. I mean, Nadal, just such a great problem solver. The energy was so enthralling. It was just fantastic. There was a great tweet from our, our competition, the tennis podcast, that said, I had started to write the Corda wins tweet at 5-2, then I tweaked it a little at 5-3, then I tweaked it again at 5-4, and then the last line of the tweet was, when am I going to learn to not give up on Rafa? And, you know, even I was thinking in my head something funny like blame it on the new kit or something because this, this orange and blue kit is uh different than the raspberry one where he had this great great run of matches but i'll just go ahead and put out there that i am somewhat concerned about rafa's foot because Mm. visually i could see just a tiny bit of a limp and brad gilbert also picked up on it on social media And looking at the stats, I noticed a couple of different things, which we can get into in a minute once we get your take, Gil. I I agree. The match was so good and there was so much to unpack that I I feel like a lot, and rightly so, a lot of the energy has been thrown at figuring out what happened here and what to make of it. But in the background, I, I saw a couple of gestures with the foot that that looked almost like he was trying to adjust his shoe but in reality that kind of thing is scary to see uh and and yeah i mean i did also think it was interesting that i don't think he was asked about it right 
was he yeah <laughs> no he was not asked about it so i mean we'll we'll have to see but i i then i don't know he pulled out of miami right before the match now i thought that timing was interesting i figure why not in case you let's say lose to sebastian corda why pull out of miami so quickly i was surprised by that i thought that he would just make sure he goes deep at indian wells and then pull out of miami yeah, I was wondering that too. I thought that timing was a little strange, but on the other hand, I think he just, we we were doubtful that he was going to play Miami. Right. So maybe he just decided, let me just get some closure on this no matter what. And if I lose early at Indian Wells, that was meant to be. That still doesn't mean I want to spend another week in the United States and then go on to Miami. You know, there's this whole energy management thing that these guys like to do too that kind of sometimes transcends match playing. It's like, okay, so Miami, what, three to five hardcore matches? I mean, and there's always the, the pointing towards Paris and all these things. I thought for sure that it had something to do with Novak's waiting until the last minute to pull out. I, I thought it was perhaps virtue signaling that the, the good boys pull out well in advance of the draw. But actually... Now, having seen this match with Corda and, and understanding, you know, what may be going on here, I think he, he wanted to pull the plug on any thought about Miami. Um, and I, I'm a little concerned, actually. And, and do you want me to get into this now? Yeah, yeah, go. Um, yeah, yeah, let's I mean, the, the, the big thing was the eight double faults. I mean, yeah. that's, that's not Rafa. Um, and then I, I really dug a little bit deeper into the second serve and uh, his, you know, second serve points one on, on his serve was down. Like that's the stat that he owns. That's where he dominates other people. And for the match, he barely, barely uh, got Corda on that. Um, and his, interestingly, his speed on his second serve was up more MPH is on the second serve up from Australian Open uh, three miles per hour and uh, up a little even from Acapulco. So that means he's going for more on his second serve with the higher double faults and the higher speeds. Why? You know, why would he be going for more? Maybe to try to end the points a little more quickly. Also, this to me was stunning, guys. Stunning. Rafael Nadal in a long three-set match um, didn't hit any volleys, zero, and Corda hit nine. Um, Rafa hit 11 passing shots to Corda's zero passing shots. So one player was at the net frequently and the other one wasn't, and, and that's mm -hmm. just um, strange for Nadal. Well, Corda had a good plan. I think, I think uh... As he marches on, I think he should come to net even more. I, I mean, he had some good ways of spreading out the court and attacking Nadal's backhand. That was so interesting. Then when he served for the match at 5-4, I saw him do that twice, and both times he gets passed. I mean, it's just... Three, really. Uh, I include the lob, right? So three oh, times. Oh, the lob, at, the, the great lob. At, uh, Nadal, so good, so good at some of the improv when he has to. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. And I think to, to, to make a... A recreational or player's point. It has to do with how you broaden that skill set. You see the things Adal works on and, and tries, and even the the years he's played doubles and all these little things that surface that surface in these stages that you don't quite know when they're going to surface, but there they are. You got to play points. 
So let me uh, let me hit on both of of Amy's uh, points that that she raised. First, the double faults. It's something that needs to be tracked. And the last time we discussed it was after the Shapovalov match at the Australian Open, where I think he he said new career high in double faults. It was like eleven or twelve, and I can see the double fault rate on on tennis abstract. It was seven and a half percent. Uh, after being 6.8% against Manorino. This was 8.2%. If you look at, for his career, his double fault rate, career high in in 2020, new career high in 2021, on pace for another career high in double fault rate uh, here. And I do think he's going for more on the second serve, but then you look at some of the moments and some of the matches that he's lost and you see that he's hitting more double faults in these situations. Djokovic in the Roland Garros semifinal, he double faulted a couple too many times. Uh, when he lost to Rublev earlier on in clay court season in Monte Carlo, he double faulted at some horrible times, and it was a big problem there. Shapovalov this year, this match, I think it would have been a big reason had he lost. Uh, so, yeah, there there are uh, increasing number of double faults if you look at the big trend for Nadal. My thinking is that uh, Nadal's a natural right-hander, learned to serve lefty, went to play lefty. <clears throat> of all the shots that are most affected by that transition, I think that would be the serve. I mean, I think in a way that our, our throwing motion is natural, the side we naturally throw with. And so all these years of having learned to become a lefty server, and you got to hand it to Nadal because the serve has helped him at times. Though we know, I mean, there are a few break points in the ad courts and quarter missed a backhand return. I want to say, where do you think he was going to be serving? I mean, we know Nadal has moments where he doesn't serve there, but but again, I think the strain of it, and maybe then the potential, the the foot injury, you know, the things that kind of infect him, the desire to play a shorter point, or just I saw when Nadal got broken uh, in the third set for the second time, it, it's like an energy drag, you know, like a, a deceleration, the technique not not really there the way it is sure. just naturally throwing because it's, it's a learned motion, even after all these years. Yeah. Rafa, as we know, is a pinpoint server. So that does impact the foot. Um, and, and that, you know, that can uh, put pressure. So that may be part of it. Um, the, the, just to say something in Rafa's favor, since he did win the match, um, I think he did figure out at some point in the second set to start going at Corda's forehand. Corda is, is a player that has this amazing power on both wings, but the backhand is crushing and it is consistent. So I noticed that he started serving to Cordis forehand a little bit more, maybe getting a few more easy errors. Yep. And Corda was missing some some forehands in the third set. Completely well, agree. You know, forehands, forehands can break down. And in returns, in particular, Nadal get that jam serve. I mean, the, the backhand, the contemporary backhands of Sony players are so good, so dialed in. I mean, Corda's got just a a great backhand and as he gets his, as his form becomes even better I mean you just see I, I so impressive to see how well he played and he he spoke afterwards I think he was simultaneously upset for having lost but glad for what he learned I mean he's out of state it, it's funny though these guys this reminds me was it uh eight years ago Zvera five six years ago Zvera yeah. beats Rafa at Indian Wells 
2018, I want to say. Oh, that recent? Yeah, because Zverev, it wouldn't have been, I don't think it would have been before then with Zverev's age. Well, that's so funny. But then, and then I think back to 09 <laughs> at two in the morning, Albandian was beating Nadal at, uh, at Indian mm. Wells. I mean, you know, 10, 15 years of these Houdini escapes. Well, yes, and, and that's a good point, especially given how it happened. Because, you know, Amy, the net play thing with Nadal having zero net approaches, there was no, no... He, he had some net points. He just didn't hit any volleys. He didn't hit any volleys. Okay. Shout out but, to Emphasis. They they now, if you look on their website, they now um, yeah. keep keep track of individual shots, lobs, drop shots, that kind of thing. But uh, let's see. I want to look. I have this up too. I want to see if he got to net in the third set. Um, because, I mean, the, the larger point is it was all defense and neutral from Nadal. And after in the second set, he made a lot of errors. I thought the ball was flying on him, especially on his forehand. He he completely dialed it back. Nadal was at the net four times in the in the third set, and he won all four points. Corda uh, nine for thirteen. There was very little aggression from Nadal throughout the third set, and he got the misses. I mean, if you if you took the majority of of points from five two forward, where Nadal forced the tiebreak and won the tiebreak the vast majority of the points you would have charted as quarter errors. Um, yeah. So, I mean, for me, it was Nadal making his opponent who had been playing a very high risk, high octane uh, style of tennis, which is the right way that he needs to play. And he kept playing that way and just making him earn every single point trusting that there's a good chance that he would get the errors and he got them. Yeah. And uh, Rafa won the short rallies. And, and to me that says um, he was uh Corda was going for a little bit much early. He was, he was playing that first strike brand of tennis, which, you know, is, is a great um, strategy against somebody like Nadal, but you also, what people don't understand is first strike tennis also means you can't miss inside the zero to four. You have to be ironclad. You have to be both aggressive and can't miss within that first four shots. So he missed quite a bit. And and I, I think you're dead on, spot on, Gil. That's how Rafa stole the match. Yeah, I agree that Rafa hunkered down. Uh, risk, it's funny. I don't, I don't even I don't always understand What's meant by risk? I, there's a, it's kind of a concept. I'm kind of like how some people don't understand shame or embarrassment or something. Part of me doesn't get what's always meant by by risk, and I and I mean that truly. I mean, in a way, if you have it, it's not a risk. And if you're serving at five two in the third set, it's not really. It's been working pretty well. So the, the totally. Yield, so so, but I don't think of it as. I think of it as aggressive. I think I like the. I think of it as certainly aggressive, and you're doing things, but it's just. I don't know. It's interesting how players evolve also because uh, a few years from now, if Corda progresses to where he could be, I think he's a wonderful player. Um, then we're going to see, oh, yes, he was forming. He was in his formative stages at this match. And so it reminds me a little bit of, uh, of Pete Sampras, too. Like, I don't, did, did, I don't think of Pete Sampras as playing high-risk tennis. I think can, I Pete, give the, can I give that a shot? Let me give the risk thing a shot. A shot. You don't think about it as risk of losing the point because in that sense – it's not 
uh, you know, it would be a bigger risk if Corda started rolling balls cross court every time at 80% speed uh, because he would be at higher risk of losing the point. It's higher risk of missing. Uh, so it's, it's going for a shot that has a higher degree of difficulty that might win you the point if you make it and Corda was making it for so long but it's also a higher risk of missing. I, I thought most of the points were ended on Corda's terms because of just how aggressive he was. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. A higher risk of missing, but a greater chance of winning the point. Correct. Which is why, I mean, we, we, all, we all agree. None of us are critiquing Corda tactically. Right. But you see, you see, so you see what we're getting at when we frame these, these notions because you say, oh, well, you should play more low risk because, you know, you want to avoid high risk. But no, higher risk of missing, um, greater chance of winning. So it's kind of this <laughs> thing. It's like, imagine of a, of a, of a, baseline I know um and not you Gil another baseline I know who who says he needs to come to net more and he says I should he says oh I guess I should take more risk I said if you think it's a risk you'll treat it like a risk and then you won't do it you know what I mean and so in a way Corda he can't think of that as a high risk he needs to think of that as a high chance of winning you know it's like and and I, I don't want to get overly semantic but they are it's interesting the language around tennis of, of what what accompanies these things because he was I mean he was doing what he needed to do, but it just didn't quite finish it. He couldn't execute it with the match closing tension in uh-huh. the mix. Yeah, that's a whole that's a whole art form. I mean, there are a lot of dialogue in tennis. Like I've heard one legend say, uh, well, you just stay your thing. They have to come up with better things. But then another person says, oh no, the person who's losing. They're going to raise, they're going to bring some more things at this stage. They've got their back to the wall. So they're going to, I mean, what do you, what do you guys think? What's your guys thought about match closing strategies? If I could close a match, then I would know the answer. (laughs) (laughs) What I always look for Joel is if the player does what gave them, what put them in the position to close the match, if they continue to attempt to do the same thing, quarter passed that test. He was doing all that. He was going for all the same shots that put him up five, two in the third set and won him the second set. He just missed him. Like, so I can't, I've seen, I've seen worse nerve management. I've seen worse collapses and and that'll, you know, I just, he just missed him. Yeah. And I read that he was in tears after the match, which is my heart goes out to him but look i mean this is one of the all-time greats to 
ever play the sport there's really no shame in the match he just played and and i agree that that risk is involves all these different spectrums that are extremely dynamic it's hard to really get a handle on it joel you make a lot of great points amy what do you think of this quote from nadal after the match normal thing with this kind of match in that position from 100 matches probably you're going to lose 90 but if you give up you're going to lose 100. If you are there, you can win 10%. It's classic Nadal. It's words to live by, although executing that mentality is very difficult. But, you know, as, as a recreational player, I'll find myself in matches sometimes. And Nadal is of the three. He's the one I think of. Like, what would Rafa do in this situation what would be his mentality? So often we hear Rafa say, and we've read that it's this point right here. So it's really about focus. And the, the quote that you just read me is indicative of a player that's able to really be in the moment of that point and, and let the other stuff fall away. As we've been talking about this, I was thinking to myself, hmm, how do you practice? It's so hard to practice serving out a match because you have to reach that point and then do it. But then I thought of something, you know, like you can't just say, let's pretend it's five, four, and I'm going to serve now. You have to have, have played the games to reach the stage. But then I thought to myself, you know what? That's not really true. The way you do it is through a match and you look at how you take care of things. I, I, um, if I had a dollar for every, let's say two, one thirty love lead, I've blown two, one thirty love serving a two, one thirty love, a good chance to sort of, put a little space, it's like, ah, lose the point, 30 all, ah, two all get broken. So in a way, I think these great players, and I don't just mean Nadal, I mean Corda, I mean all the pros, they've built those building blocks to get there, those work habits. And I think, I think for all players, for, from us to them, it's how you build those and, and how you practice the, the, the one all game, the two, one, 30 love, the, the guys serving at one, three, 1540 and you have that chance for that second break and you know we've seen uh, Robbie Koenig talks about this often how the guy who doesn't get the second break his momentum often goes the complete other direction right and it's like, how do you make sure you get that second break and that's why I thought I thought when Corda got the second break yesterday oh, okay this is gonna, he's going to be okay now but no 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 not Rafa well I think you have to practice not thinking about all that stuff like you, you, you notice, oh, it's 2-1, it's, it's 30 love. That's my sticking point, you, Joel. Maybe that's a, a sticking point for you. I think you have to, if that thought occurs to you, you have to practice letting that thought go and, and focusing. So I, I think for Rafa, it, it, what he's trying to say that he does and we should all do, it really comes down to focus. Where is your focus at, at different an effort. Yeah. And, and if you're, if you're trying to focus and you can always fall back on effort, that's a great mental space to be in. Well, you have your focus and your effort, but you all, and you also have your problem solving. It's like making good shot selection decisions. I think one of the things that makes uh, pros so great, and you see it as the, the better ones, because we watch them at these late stages so much. I mean, I've watched a lot more Nadal than I've watched Corda or Berrettini or other players. And you see the smart decisions they make on on big points. Yeah. And in this match, that's a 
this match was a good example because he knew he didn't have his best stuff, but he decided that doesn't mean I'm going to miss. That just means I'm not going to hit my screaming down the line forehand winners, uh, which, which he didn't have to do much of Dan Evans in the next round, righty, very crafty game, one-handed backhand likes to slice it a lot. Um, how do we feel about this matchup? If he's healthy, if Nadal is healthy, I think this is an easy one for him. I mean, to the backhand, to the backhand, to the backhand, always to the backhand. He'll have many opportunities to run around and hit the shot that he wants. Um, but again, it's all precipitated on whether the foot is healthy. Mm-hmm. Agree about the foot, and if it is healthy, I think I'd say to Dan Evans, um, I knew Stan Rorinka. Stan Rorinka was a friend of mine. Let me tell you, <laughs> Mr. Evans, you know Stan Rorinka. That slice backhand, and Evans is a fine player. I think I think he'd actually fare better the, the, on a on a clay court than a slow, slow, slow hard court because I don't know where he gets traction from the court. At least on the clay, there's different things the the ball does and maneuver things around. Even though clay with Rafa is no 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 picnic, we know that. <laughs> but the uh, the slow, slow hard court, then I really don't know where Evans, because now he's not going to get the, the, the bite. And there'll, there'll be, as, as usual with the Nadal match, there'll be many fine rallies. And there'll be some moments where Evans will construct something. But I just, and, and then because and then Rafa also has the thing that all players have. Wow, I escaped. Got through that tough one. Uh, now it's playing with house money a little bit. Yeah, it's another case of, I don't know what bear i don't know what evans is supposed to do with the backhand because you're in a scenario so you know your more effective shot is your slice your drive's just not that good it's it's fine it's it's just not that good am i slicing it because against nadal tactically that's a bit of a nightmare with the way he handles slice both with his footwork it's going to be very hard to get it to his backhand and with how much acceleration he gets on his forehand side generating um, off of that slice. Or I say, okay, tactically, I shouldn't slice. Let me just hit my weaker shot. Is, is that the winning strategy to, to hit your worst shot? It's a very difficult position to be in. It's run around it and try never to hit it at all. <laughs> Pretend it doesn't exist. I think how it works, you can see some things, practice some things, and then you kind of enter the arena and see what's going on there. I mean, again, and, and I think the, the X in this is Nadal's state of physical being. And yeah. maybe that's something. But I think, I think this is a pretty, uh, pretty comfortable matchup. I mean, it's, and it's not like Evans is, uh, is Berrettini with the slice back end and the Whopper forehands. That would be an intriguing match to see Nadal play. But that's not the one. Before we wrap up here, there was an incident last night with Naomi Osaka where she got heckled. It affected her uh, very deeply, lost that first set six love, ended up losing to Veronica Kudermatova. And it's something that we've we've seen in Novak Djokovic matches. Amy, do you have any thoughts on on hecklers and kind of what they how they can affect the sport and maybe what can be done? All of our big three have been heckled at some point in their long career. And it, it, what happened to Naomi last night was pretty bad, in my opinion, even though it wasn't obscene. I give Naomi a ton of credit for insisting on the mic and 
raising her voice in the way she did and calling attention to past incidents involving Venus and Serena. I mean, just incredibly brave of her to do that. And, you know, she's talked about um, the old press conference way of doing things. Maybe we should shake something up and do something a little bit differently. And I give her a ton of credit for actually doing that. I mean, she, she grabbed the mic, she insisted on it twice, and she said what she wanted to say. So good for her. But in terms of the, the innovations that we might be making to tennis to try to deal with this sort of heckling, which you know, in particular, Novak has had to face in, in more recent years. Um, there has been a suggestion to not make the atmosphere around these um, points and, and match play so quiet and to just let the crowd kind of go and have their conversations and not insist on quiet. That has been suggested. Admittedly, I have not thought that through a ton, but the younger wave or the new wave is is thinking that maybe we should just go ahead and do that. That might be a way to kind of um, not, not have these incidents where the uh, the heckler is so um, noticeable. It's just a thought. So you're suggesting it be a little bit more like uh, American baseball, where you can just have as much uh, or basketball and say as much noises you want and then so the the random hecklers aren't going to stand out as much that's uh yeah that's kind of like what world team tennis started with many years ago and you could do that that and i think the players might adjust it might be interesting to experiment with it at a tournament or two i mean if i was running a 250 might give it a go say you guys say whatever you want we're never we're not going to stay quiet hmm. i would love to see some experimentation there Certainly, I've been uh, sitting in right field at enough Yankee games to know that there can still be heckling when uh, when people raise their voices in in cases like that. But uh, I'm I'm very intrigued with the different ways that uh, we can perhaps change or, or alter the tennis viewing experience. Uh, one school of thought is that part ain't really broke. It's really the TV part that maybe needs to be bringing in more revenue, right? Um, versus the attendance part, but I love the U S open how, you know, when you're really an Arthur Ashe, you can kind of speak quietly to the person next to you. Cause there's this buzz because everybody's doing it. I also went to Wimbledon and I thought it was really cool how quiet it was. It's all good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe different policies at different tournaments. Who knows? Could be fun. Uh, lots of character is what it's all about uh, with with different with these different events. We hope that uh, Nadal is healthy moving forward. Again, Dan Evans next, and that'll do it for this episode of Three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We greatly appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We'll see you next time on the next episode of Three. <laughs>